The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Can you guys hear me okay? Awesome, awesome. Earlier, for those who weren't here earlier, I, I could not uh, get it working, but now we have got it. So apparently this stand right here is made for Jeff and Sam because it is a little bit taller than I. And uh, but the uh, earpiece was made for Jeff and Sam as well because their ears are much bigger than mine apparently because I had trouble fitting that thing on there too. But nonetheless, we digress. Hey, listen, we, I'm glad to be with you, Heritage family. Um, if you don't know who I am and I don't know who you are, that's okay. Um, my name is Brent Sisson. I'm the uh, children's and family pastor here at uh, Heritage. And uh, it's a joy to serve the families and the, the kids of this church. And um, and it's a joy to be with you guys and to uh, proclaim the truths of God's Word to you tonight. Um, if you can, open up to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, we're going to spend very, very little time there. And then we're going to jump over to Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, as you'll learn, is uh, uh, very, very long. And got a, has a, it's got a lot of names. And uh, so we're going to skip over some of that. As you guys are turning there, a uh, show of hands, um, PB, yeah, there we go. Thank you for the show of hands, Richard. But a uh, show of hands, uh, think PBS show 20, 25 years ago, Painter. Give me a name. Painter on a PBS, curly hair. Who? But what's that? Bob? Bob, anybody last name? Bob Ross. Anyway. So, 20, 25 years ago, Bob Ross, painter on PBS. Here's the thing, I'm 34, so I'm much older than some of you and much younger than some of you. And when I was about 20, 25 years ago, I remember being at my grandma's house, that we called her Meemaw Sisson. And we would sit in front of the TV during the hot summer days, kind of like this, and I would watch Bob Ross. And he was, he was really captivating to me. He, had that, he was very soft-spoken, but he would start with a blank canvas and, you know, start with a paint stroke, paint stroke, and you're like, what's this guy going to do? And then it turns into something incredible, like a, a stream in a meadow, you know, with a deer and frolicking along with a rabbit or something like that. I mean, it was very, very, very cool, I thought. And, and here's the thing, to, and you're like, what in the world does that have um, to do with anything? Well, here's the thing. Tonight, as we go through Nehemiah chapter 7 and Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm going to give you guys, as we go through this story, we're going to go verse by verse, not through chapter 7, but through eight, uh, chapter 8, uh, 1 through 12. And we're going to do a paint stroke at a time. And then as we start to pull back, by the end of that, we're going to see the picture of what's going on, what's happening here. And then we're going to pull back and look at that picture, and we're going to apply what's going on to our own lives and, and really apply the, the truths of what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8 to our own lives. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Nehemiah uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 4 and 5. And right before I do that, I'm going to give you guys just a, a very, very brief immediate background. Here's the thing. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Sam, they've been preaching through that. So they, they've given you guys the background as we go through this. And uh, by the way, if you didn't know, uh, Pastor Sam, he had their second child a week ago tonight. Or, yes, so we could go tonight. And so uh, I think Justice Samuel Peck. 
And, um, and so uh, justice is done. And, um, and then, uh, so that was a week ago, and then Jeff, him and his wife, are on a much-deserved uh, trip together to the uh, Acts 29 National Conference, and they'll be back, um, they'll be back uh, oh, basically next week. And um, so anyway, be praying for them. But it, as they have walked you guys through Nehemiah, they provide the background. The immediate background I want to tell you guys tonight is that Nehemiah has been, you know, in chapter 6 had faced some really big opposition to the building of the walls. But here's the thing. He finished the walls. He and the, the other uh, Jews in Jerusalem, they finished the wall in 52 days. Not too shabby. The, and, and here's the thing. The walls were probably not tore completely down. It was probably, you know, um, some parts they just had to fix and, and, and bring together. But the thing is, they finished in 52 days. So a big thing has happened there. Now, here, and here's the thing as well, uh, bef before I read uh, 7, 4, and 4, and verse uh, 5, is I want you to think external and then internal. So, like, think of an M&M. On the external, you've got that nice shell that melts away, like, in a second on days like this. And on the middle, that's the good stuff right there. So, here's the thing. In Jerusalem, the, the external part has been done. Verse, uh, chapters 1 through 6 is really the external of what's going on. And now the rest of the book of Nehemiah is focusing in on the inside of what's going on in the people and restoring the people. Now, because he's restored the walls, now we're going to restore the people. Restore the people of God, the, the, the Jewish people. And so, we're going to read uh, verse 4 of chapter 7 and verse 5. And then we'll, I'll explain just a little bit and then we're going to stop. And then go to uh, chapter 8. Verse 4, the city was wide, the city Jerusalem was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built. So we got a problem. There's a big city inside the walls, don't have that many people to fill it. The, ho the houses that haven't been built for the people because there's not enough there to fill it. Think of a, uh, a back, back east where we lived in North Carolina. They, uh, I remember near the church that I'd served at, there was a subdivision that was built and it was empty. And because they were waiting for people to buy lots to build houses on. S similar picture here. Empty, they're waiting for the people. And so uh, then um, Nehemiah says, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, and then the rest of chapter 7. If you want to read that, go home, read that. Enjoy it, and you might fall asleep because there's a lot of names in there. Um, but so essentially right here is there's a genealogy. Now here's the interesting part. So Nehemiah 7, the genealogy there is, the, is nearly almost exactly the same one that is in Ezra chapter 2. Is it nearly exactly the same one as in, that is in Ezra chapter 2. And you say, how did that happen? Well, essentially, Nehemiah found this genealogy as was listed in Ezra 2, and he's like, that sounds good. There are a few differences, and it comes down to uh, scribal differences and some errors of spelling, just like you and I may spell some things different. If I uh, ask you to spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, we're probably going to get about 50 different spellings. Now, obviously, some of these names, I think, are that hard, but we're going to get different spellings. And so there are some differences in this list, but but essentially it's the same list. 
And he lists the genealogy. And here's the thing. This genealogy dates back 80 years before he puts it in there. And so essentially it's, it's like saying, okay, I'm here. It's going to list my, maybe my great-grandpa or my grandpa. And he did that so that he knew, okay, this person is with this family, this person is this family. Um, I'm a nerd with details sometimes, and like I've been doing a genealogy of my family, um, of my, well, both my dad and my mom's side. And it's really interesting. Like, go to back to the 1600s, found Scottish and, you know, British and um, Irish uh, descent, uh, French descent as well, somewhere in there. And, um, and so genealogies fascinate me. And now this one doesn't fascinate me as much because I don't have any attachment to some of the names in there. But nonetheless, genealogies are important because it, it tells who we, you know, who we come from and it tells who these people came from. And so, so and here's the thing too, is the genealogy was very important. And it, was it was to highlight Nehemiah's concern to repopulate the city. He's like, let's start there. Let's do a census from that. And, um, and here's the thing, at the end of this list, the to it totaled out to 49,942, including horses, mules, camels, and donkeys. Like, uh, so I've got a family of four, or no, family of five. Um, I do have three kids and a wife. And, um, and then also, uh, we have a dog. Now, when someone asks me, and we've got a few fish too, but I don't ever look at them. Um, and so if someone asks me, how big is your family? I say five people, because I don't count my dog. Now, some of you do. You love your dogs. I love my dog too. She's not that smart sometimes. Um, and she's really, she just sleeps uh, during days like this. Imagine that, but uh, she's really hot. That's why they call it the dog days of summer. Um, so, but they counted the mules, the horses, the camels, and the donkeys. They counted everything up to 49,000, almost 50,000 50, uh, people or animals that came in this census right there. So that's all we're going to uh, uh, deal with chapter 7. You can feel free to go back and read that as you uh, wish. Now, here's what we're going to do. Nehemiah, uh, I want you to go all the way to the end of uh, Nehemiah 7 to, chat, uh, to verse 73. To verse 73. And we're going to do a little something different tonight. Uh, we're going to read the word, but we're going to do it in a little bit different way. And you'll see why here in a minute as we read through it. I want, as we read through this, I want you guys to stand as we read the word of God. So you guys stand, and then I'm going to read the word, and you guys read along with me. You don't have to read out loud, uh, but I'm going to read uh, Nehemiah 7, 73 through 8, verse 12. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants in all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month, seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and you guys bear with me, 
Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, maybe, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hash, Hash Brown, uh, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book inside of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood, just as we are. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Shabbatiah, um, Hadiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. Uh, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people, of underst- uh, the people understood the reading. Almost done, guys. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You guys may be seated. Now let's pray. Let's pray as we sit. Father, your words demand reverence, demand respect. And God, here in this passage, as we read this, we see the reverence, the respect, the honor that the people of God gave to the Word of God. And we see how the Spirit of God worked in their midst. God, I pray that tonight, um, even as I um, speak these words, God, that the Spirit of God would work in the hearts and lives of people your people, for your glory. God, change their hearts to conform them to the image of Jesus, not the image of this world, but the image of Jesus. And God, may we honor you. May we glorify you. May we leave this place being missionaries for you because the word of God has told us to go and to proclaim the word. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so paint strokes. Let's think paint strokes again. I'm going to give you guys individual paint strokes. It's going to, you you know, you're going to, is that an important paint stroke? Is that an important paint stroke? Yes, it's going to form a picture as as to what's going on. We're going to kind of go through 8-1 through 8-12 really quick. It says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now here's the thing. They could have went into the temple and stood and done, done all this. They could have. Um, but in reality, there's a couple things working against this. Number one, there were a lot of people in this picture out here. Estimates are up to 30 to 50,000 people here. That's a lot of folks. Like, I, I'm not a f- fan of huge crowds. Like, going to New York City for New Year's Day has never really provided any incentive to me. Um, and, but, like, I can go to a college football game. I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan. Go dogs. Uh, make sure I get that in there. And um, I've been to plenty of games in Athens, Georgia at those games. And there's 92,000 of your f- best friends there. 
And like I can cheer all day. For those Ducks fans, you can do the same when you go to Altson. Uh, for Beavers fans, I don't, do you guys have anything to cheer for? Oh, sorry. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, actually, I did. But um, nonetheless, so they're at the water gate because there, this is a bigger area for this number of people to, to fit in. And so you've got, the, you've got the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. And on the east side, you've got the water gate. And then in, in front of that, you've got a big open field. And so 30 to 50,000 people, I would imagine that's probably high estimate, they're standing there. They're standing there. And it says, And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now here's the thing. Ezra shows up on the scene. He hasn't been in the book of Nehemiah yet. But here's the thing. Keep in mind, Ezra and Nehemiah, the books go together. They, they go together. Um, and here's the reality is we're not sure where he's been. Um, he, he had been leading the Jewish restoration some 14 years later. And he was an important player. There's basically three key leaders leading the Jews back from Babylon to Jerusalem. One being Zerubbabel. I'm going to name a next dog that. Um, call him Zeri maybe or Babel. I don't know. Uh, but Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. So rebuild the temple. That's a big deal. God's presence reside there. Zerubbabel's job is for that, is to do that. He did that. Nehemiah, his job is very important. Rebuild the walls. Protect us from enemies. Protect us from the enemies. And then the third is Ezra. His job was to restore the worship. He was a scribe, so he wrote, he, you know, uh, copied, wrote things, but he was also a priest. His job was to restore the worship in the, that was found in the, the Torah. And so, Ezra's a big picture. He steps back on the scene probably because he's, his job is, is the Word. And so he brings the book of the law of Moses that the Lord commanded Israel. So, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they had heard on the first day of the seventh month. All right, here's the thing. This is a, a lot of people. It includes kids. There's a, uh, even kids in here, all who could understand. They didn't have, I'm a kid's pastor, they didn't have kids ministry back in the day, um, and, and especially here. Now here's the thing, I would imagine not everybody's there because somebody's got to watch the younger kids that can't, but here, the moms, dads, the, the kids are there, the, those that could understand what they heard. And they were on the, it says on the first day of the seventh uh, month. Now here's the thing, this was a big day. This was a big day in the Jewish calendar. It was the New Year's, uh, essentially the New Year's Day for the Jewish civil calendar. And it was also the first day of the month that the Day of Atonement was celebrated. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, excuse me. The Day of Atonement. That's a big day right there. And so this is a, a massive day. This isn't just like any other day. It's a big, big day right here. And also this was in, on our calendar is September, October-ish. Somewhere in that range right there, just to give you a reference to us. And it says, And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning to, until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Did you guys catch that? Early morning until midday. Probably five or six hours of reading the word. And, and if you think Jeff is a long, you know, long-winded, uh, you may or may not, I don't know. Like it compares nothing. Five or six hours. And here's the thing, we'll, and we'll touch this, it was probably a stop and go thing because they were reading it and then they were 
interpreting it to, for those that couldn't understand. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. But here's the, all, all, the other thing. Think practically. 30, 50,000 people, a lot of people, either way you slice it. Think New York, you know, New York City, New Year's Day, the ball dropping, that number of people and how packed in they've got to be. Something similar is going on right here. A lot of people, like practically think of, you know, I'm just, bathroom breaks. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm just, this isn't comfortable. This isn't necessarily a comfortable thing for all the people to be gathered, probably standing, well, they are standing for five or six hours. Comfort's not in the, in the equation right here. It's not comfortable for them, probably, more than likely. And even September, October, weather-wise, we're looking at, like I was looking, uh, research just a little bit, the average in Jerusalem in that, those months is around 82 degrees, average. So it's still warm. I mean, like, it's not freezing cold. You know, you're probably sweating. You're up against people. You know, it's like, get off me. Um, don't touch me. Um, that's what I'd be saying. And, and so it's not a thing of comfort going on right here. There's a pink shirt right there with the picture of what's going on. And it says, but in, in the midst of all that, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were listening. They were listening. And it, there was a key reason why they're listening. We're going to hit that here in a minute. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that it, they had made for the purpose. Kind of a pulpit, for lack of a better term. However, it's probably more of a scaffolding thing, you know, just to get higher than the people. And so people way in the back can see. And, but it's big enough so that 14 people can fit up there. In the middle, you've got Ezra. On his left, I believe, you've got six people. On his right, you've got seven people or vice versa. So it's holding some weight. He's standing there reading the book of the law. I don't know, I mean, my qu practical question is, does he have a, some type of ancient megaphone? I mean, I, you know, those are things that just go through my head of like, what's this uh, picture looking like? And beside him stood all those people. I'm not going to read those to torture you again with my pronunciations. But uh, beside him stood all these people. The more likely these are, these are priests. They're there. They're, they're important. They're, they're there standing next to him. And then verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book inside of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. There's a reverence here. There's a deep reverence. Now, here's the thing. The book of the law, what they were reading at the time was more than likely either some, most, or all of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Bible. Think Penta, five, you know, Pentagon, five-sided Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so he's reading either, you know, a good portion of it or all of it. And he opens it and the people stand in respect. Now here's the thing. More than likely, it hasn't, it's been over 150 years since uh, a group of people, a group of Jews has, has came together for this. It's supposed to, by the law, happen at once every seven years. But think seven years before this. More than likely, you know, this isn't happening because the city of Jerusalem's still in kind of a, in chaos. And then you keep going back and back. Now they're in Babylon. That, that's certainly not happening in Babylon. And so it, it, it may have been and, up to 150 years since this had been actually happened. So think of that. D generations haven't heard the public reading of the Pentateuch, the book of the law here. This is a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. Very, very big deal. And so uh, we go over to verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord. 
the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra some, somehow praised the Lord. God, you're great. You're the, you're the great, awesome God. You're deserving of everything. He's, he's extolling the Lord, worshiping him. And then the people are saying, amen, amen. I don't, wouldn't that be cool to hear just 30, 50,000 people saying, amen, so be it, so be it. That's the, the interpretation of amen. That's cool right there. Like it's loud. It's the pic, painting the picture here. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Re- great reverence, great reverence. And then verse 7. Now you've got these group of people that are there, the Levites, and their job is to help people understand the law. Because here's the thing, there's some, there's some language barriers right here. Because some of the people are speaking Aramaic probably a little bit. Some people are even speaking Chaldee, Cal- which is the language of, in Babylon. Um, so you've got multiple languages here. So there's some language translations, but also as they're teaching, whatever they're teaching out of the Pentateuch, they're, they're explaining that. I don't know how that looks to 30, 50,000 people. And, and here's the thing. There's only, I don't know what, eight, nine, ten names named right there. Um, when it says the Levites, I'm guessing there are a lot more people. They were out in the crowds. Somehow, I don't know, if they're standing on some type of platform, they've got a group of people they're responsible for, and they're explaining it. So Ezra's reading it. He stops, explain, move on. Read, stop, explain, move, and keep going. So something like that is, is going on right there. And then it says, they helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, the law, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Understanding, understanding the reading right there. That is a, a, a big thing right there. Um, make sure I've, I've got everything I want to cover right there that I've painted all my, my paint strokes. And then they go on and basically, they, um, essentially what's happening is as the people are hearing this, we're going to come back to this in just a second. Is the people are hearing this, they're being convicted. They're being convicted and they're mourning. They're weeping. 30, I mean, I would imagine not, 30, not all 30,000 people are weeping. I mean, probably got the guy in there that's like, I'm never going to cry, you know, but man, that's ripping at my heart. You know, and you've got the, the lady that's overzealous over here, you know, just wailing. I mean, you've got, you've got everything in between in 30, 30 50,000 people. But they're mourning, they're weeping over their sin that they see in the, in the, in the Word of God. And, they, and, and uh, Nehemiah says, this day is holy. This is a big day, guys. Do not mourn or weep. Don't do it. He, and then he goes on, he says, go your way, eat, your, eat the fat and drink sweet wine. By the way, Kathy doesn't say eat your quinoa. See, uh, Kathy always picks on me because I'm not the healthiest of either. She's over eating her quinoa salad, you know. I'm like, yeah, give me the Wendy's right here. So, um, so anyway, I do think it's fun. It says, eat the fat, drink sweet wine. Um, that's a liquor reference. But, uh, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. This is a big day. He says, go, celebrate. Celebrate what has happened. Now, here's what we're going to do. So we painted paint strokes. Paint strokes, now we got a picture of what's going on. Let's pull back. Let's look at it in our lives. And, and some of the things that I believe God wants us to take away from this. All right, first thing. We know that they were responding to the reading of the word. 
They were responding to the reading of the word. This wasn't some emotional, you know, just something that happened and like uh, 20 10 decades back, I guess, in Toronto. They had some type of, you know, very, very, very extreme Pentecostal happening where people just started doing crazy stuff like barking as dogs and all this other stuff. You can go look it up. It really happened. This isn't anything like that. This is their this true, true response to the word, to the reading of the word. It wasn't comfortable. Keep that in mind. Remember that paint stroke? It wasn't comfortable. It was a work of the Spirit. It was a work of the Spirit in their lives. Here's the, and, uh, David Platt, he always said this, and I like this. He says, the Word of God and the Spirit of God are enough to accomplish the mission of God. That's good stuff right there. That's worth praying and going home for. But the Word of God and the Spirit of God are enough to accomplish the mission of God. That's what's happening here. You've got the Word of God being read. I believe the Spirit is working right there. It's working in hearts. It's convicting. We're going to talk about the, the, how the Word does that too. And it's bringing about the mission of God, repentance, in the lives of these people. In the lives of these people. And so, and here's the thing. Why would the Word do that? Here's what I believe about that. Some of this is from Matt Chandler and a few others, but I totally agree with it. The Word teaches us about who God is and who we are in light of Him. Who He is, holy, majestic, master, king, worthy of everything, here we are, not. Um, my mentor in college, he taught me, uh, to, when I pray, um, he taught me a really cool acrostic uh, acronym, I guess. And some of you guys probably have used this before, but he, he uh, it's called ACTS when you pray. Um, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. Um, but A-C-T-S. And, and when you pray, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Because here's the thing with prayer, a lot of times we focus on you know, everybody's ailments and everything. God healed this person, healed this person. Uh, had a seminary professor, he called, the, he called uh, prayer, prayer meetings sometimes organ recitals because it's like, God, would you heal my aunt's bunion? Would you heal my great-grandma's heart? And there's, now, is there anything wrong with praying with that? No. But here's the thing. That's not the object of prayer. Isn't, the object of prayer is not the healing of something necessarily. Yes. Can we pray for that? Absolutely. But that's not the mission of prayer. It's to know the heart of God. It's to, to beseech God and, and to say, God, I'm here. I'm for you. And so when, when I think of that acronym, go back to that acronym. Adoration is starting prayer with, God, you're holy. You're majestic. You're worthy of everything. You're worthy of it all. And then, God, man, I look at my life. It's not me. I, God, I got sin in my life. I, I lusted there. I... Um, you know, I, I said something I shouldn't have said there. I, you know, maybe I stole something there. I did this. God, I, I'm confessing these things in light of who you are. And then, you know, you can say, thank you, God. Thank you. That I know your word, you know, your word tells me if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. And then finally, after all that, and you've had good communion with the Lord, then you can pray for someone and say, God, those things are more important than the he healing of someone. My, my repentance before you is first and foremost. I want to know your heart, but in light of that, God, I, want, I pray for this person, this person, this person, and these things. And so, I say all that. The Word teaches about who God is and who we are in light of Him. 
And I think that's what they were encountering. Do I know, I mean, does it say what exactly they were reading? No. We know that it was in the Pentateuch. My guess is they're, as they're hearing things about God's promises to Abraham. God, you know, Abraham, look at the stars. You're going to be as numerous as these stars that will be your descendants. And then as, as he's going, as they're reading through, um, you know, God's reiteration of that promise to Moses, they're saying, oh man, we've come so far. We've come, fallen so far from where God wants us to be. And then mourning, weeping in their hearts over how far they came from God's mission. So the Word teaches about who God is, who we are in light of Him. Uh, you guys, most of you guys know 2 Timothy 3.16, or you may have heard it, but it says all Scripture, that's Genesis to Revelation, is God-breathed. And uh, the word, uh, I, I think Greek, some Greek is interesting, the word for God-breathed is theonoustost. Theo, God, noustos, think of pneumonia, the way pneumonia is spelled, noustos. Theonoustos, God-breathed. That's what the word, this right here, not necessarily the book, but the words contained in are God breathed through people, through the people he's used to write this. All scripture is God breathed and useful for a few things. Teaching, which I do, you, I mean, you guys can teach anywhere. Rebuking, confronting us, confronting the sin, correcting what has been confronted in us, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I believe that was happening right there with the 30, 50,000 people in front of the water gate. They were being confronted with who they are. Teaching was happening, rebuking, correcting, and then training for them. Remember, the Spirit was at work in doing that, but it was accomplished through the Word of God. It was accomplished through the Word of God. Because again, the Word of God, Spirit of God, enough to accomplish the mission of what God's doing. All right, so that's the first thing. We know that we respond to the Word. Second thing, we know that they were not just reading, but being taught the Word together. So, here's the thing. The importance of being taught the Word correctly instead of allowing the Spirit to lead you. There is, there is correct teaching of the Word is so, so critical, especially in days like today, where we have so many cults and so many you know, things that just, just lead us astray from, um, from following the Lord. Um, I, I don't, please know I don't share this being boastful or anything. It's just a really cool thing that happened. Um, a few weeks ago, I was on a plane from Denver to Medford. And I, I always, most, mostly always, um, when I leave, I always tell my kids, my wife, hey, pray for daddy to have an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. So I'm on a plane. I'm sitting next to a lady. We just start talking. She lives here in Medford. She's from Thailand, but she moved here seven years ago. She's a Chinese national, all these different things. I start, you know, we start talking and she's like, oh, you know, maybe God can help you, uh, you know, God, you can help me pray. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then, um, and so we, we start talking. I'm, I get, I just share the gospel with her and tell her how prayer functions into that. And she was saying that, you know, even living in here in Medford, she's had the Jehovah's Witnesses come and tell her things. And so she read through, you know, some of the stuff that Jehovah's Witnesses gave her. And she just didn't feel good about that because there were so many do's and don'ts in, involved in that. And I'm like, okay, that's not the gospel. <laughs> that's not the gospel. And in fact, uh, probably, it's pretty some harsh language. I was like, stay away. And, um, 
And so, you know, but you've, you've got that. You've got, um, you know, the LDS church, which I believe is very, you know, functions in that same way. as not correct teaching according to the word. There's so much of that. And, um, and it happens. It's happening a lot. Um, you see, it's really interesting here lately. I've been noticing like J-dubs. That's what I, we call them in our house, J-dubs. Um, all over the place. They're sitting out in front of Walmart. They're sitting in, I saw them somewhere else the other day. Anyway, uh, the airport. They sit in the airport terminal just sitting there, you know, and asking people to come up. And so they can tell the gospel or their version of the gospel to them. But here's the thing. Correct teaching is so important. Correct get it. Ezra was teaching the word. It was coming from him and he was reading the word and then people were interpreting it correctly to the people. Correct teaching is so, so, so important. And here's the thing, guys. I want to encourage you and beseech you. Always, always check who you're listening to. Um, there, There are people and that are very well respected, or I don't know if respected would be the right word, very well known, that um, don't proclaim the gospel. It's, it's very health and wealth gospel. And I, and I encourage you um, to don't, don't base the gospel on that. Yes, some of it is positive thinking stuff. Yes, we can all be positive thinkers. But here's the, the truth. Focus on the Word, the Word of God. Listen to people who are biblically strong, who are teaching the Word. And I would encourage you guys. Here's the thing. I'm, I, I listen to other pastors a lot preach. Um, I probably should do it more. I know like us on staff, all of us, we listen to um, other pastors. Uh, Kathy, she's always blasting Matt Chandler, you know, in her office. And, or not always, but a lot of times. And, but that's okay. Like those are strong biblical teachers. Find those and listen to them. Here's the thing that we, when, what happens on Wednesday night, on Sunday morning, we're just one voice. Do I think we're like as a, as a staff, as a staff of, of pastors, do I feel like we're teaching the word well? Yes, I do. But I want to say this. There are people out there that teach the word extremely well too, and you can benefit from them. And I'd encourage you guys to, to make a habit of that. That's a good habit to make. L- make sure you listen to the correct teachers. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They, uh, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Aren't we seeing that in the world today? It's like, uh, I think it should be this. So I'm going to go listen to someone that, you know, affirms that. I would encourage you guys to, to don't let the itching ears, don't scratch it, you know. <laughs> um, go to the Word. Go to the Word. And here's the thing, too. They were together. Together is a big key. The Word encourages us to worship together, to learn together. There is no such thing as solo Christians. There are no such thing as solo Christians. Um, I remember when I was in high school, there was some family friends we had, and, we, and they stopped going to church. And I remember either I asked them or somehow it came up in conversation. They said, oh, we just stopped going to church. We, we figure we can, you know, watch some stuff on TV. We can read it at home. We'll be good. And in my high school mind, I'm like, okay, you know, that doesn't phase me too much. Now I look back and I'm like, you're wrong. You're wrong. The Word, can, it tells us, don't forsake the meeting of together. That was a big part of what they, they were doing, the, the believers together. So first thing, we know they were responding to the Word. Second thing, we know they were, just, they were not just reading, but they were being correctly taught the Word together. And then finally, the, uh, third, the Word leads to worship and repentance. 
The word leads to worship and repentance. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. They were mourning and weeping over what they were hearing. And here's the thing. There are things in the word that should make me mourn and weep. Now, am I a mourner? Am I a weeper? No. Um, I try to stay even kill most of the time. And, but here's the thing. There's things that break my heart as I read the word and I see myself. Guys, read it. You'll see the same thing. And, and two, as, as you're here at church or any other church, I encourage you, look for, not, don't look just to be comforted when you come to church, but look for ways to be, you know, made in more into the image of Jesus that may look like God's word confronting you about very, very specific things. And I encourage you to pray in your heart, God, reveal those areas in my life. I need to see those areas so I can be more like you. The word prevent, uh, produces worship and it produces repentance. Uh, practically, I'm a, I'm a big practical guy. There's a few things I want to leave with you guys. Um, is, you know, how can we respond practically? I would encourage you guys, make regular reading of the word a habit. A habit. Now, here's this thing. If, does that mean if you don't read the word for a week that God doesn't love you? No. I always, um, I remember there's a pastor in North Carolina called J.D. Greer. He said, there's nothing you can do right now that would make God love you any more or any less. Not reading the word doesn't mean you, God's going to love you any more or any less. If I sit next to any one of you and you've read the Word for three hours a day and I've read it for 30 minutes, that doesn't make you more holy than I. It doesn't make me less holy. It just means that you've read the Word and like God has confronted things in your heart, maybe more so than mine. But here's the thing. It's a good habit. It's a very good habit. And now, to be honest, just be transparent. It's one I've struggled with at different times in my life. You know, there's been consistent times. There's been not so consistent times. Um, make, make it a, a, a regular habit. Parents, make it a re regular habit in your kids' lives. Um, with our kids this summer, I've been really stressing, hey, let's read your Bibles. You know, sit down, go read your Bibles before you can turn on the TV. Why not, for some reason, TV and uh, video games during the summer are like a magnet to a kid. You know, it's like... And, um, and so it's like, let's read the Word. Read the Word, you know, and we try to provide a you know, way for them to do that in their own age. But make regular reading of the Word of Habits. Second, spend time praying on the truths of the Word and confessing sin. Here's the thing. Um, I've done the whole read through a Bible in a year, um, or I've gotten close. And here's the thing is you go through that and it's like, oh, sweet. I read five chapters today. I'm awesome. What did I just read? I don't have a clue. Because <laughs> it's like, let me just get through this. There, now, is there any good in that? Yes, there is good in reading through the Word. But there's also, uh, I would say, there is greatness in slowly, you know, in digesting the Word and allowing it to meditate on you, on your mind, on your heart. Uh, third, memorize Scripture. You can do it. Um, I've, I've done it. Uh, Psalm 119, says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We hide it so that it can come out in our, in, in our, in our life. Um, I said this last time, I, or when I preached in the fall or whenever, what's down in your heart is going to come out in your life. What's down in the wells comes up in the bucket. It's a good southern thing. Um, but you hide the word in your heart, the word's going to come out, I believe. And then finally, feed yourself on good biblical teaching. Um, I cannot stress that enough. Um, good biblical teaching is 
I would say it's, it can be a rarity in the world as a whole. In evangelicalism, we, I think it's come a long way. We've still got a long ways to go. But, uh, so, you know, reading a, the Word of Habit, spend time praying on the truth of the Word, memorize Scripture, good biblical teaching. So, goodness in, in uh, Nehemiah 8 right there, okay? Let's pray. Let's stand. Let's pray. And uh, we will go and proclaim the truth of God. And I told my kids ministry volunteers I'd be done at 8. It's 8 o'clock. Good job. Uh, so let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us greatly. God, I pray for this group of believers here, this family of believers, that God, we would proclaim the word in our homes, in our places of work, wherever we're at. We would proclaim it. But God, that it would start in our relationship with you and that we would read it and then we would meditate on it and then we would memorize it. God, we know that the word transforms us and that together with your spirit, it accomplishes the mission. God, I pray for this group right here. God, they would be on mission for you as they step out of this room. God, give them very, very clear, distinct opportunities to share the gospel this week. And God, I pray that, we, that it would be done with clarity and with uh, spirit, just spirit-ledness to it. God, I pray um, for your spirit to work in the lives of our church here. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys.